0: Well, good afternoon. good afternoon. Once again, I am Eric uh, Keel, and I am uh, one of the residents at First Presbyterian Church in Trenton. And it is a genuine honor and privilege to be back with you again uh, as we have the opportunity to look at God's Word. So, if you would turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. Uh, the last time I was here, uh, I believe I was uh, preaching through Galatians chapter 3, so we're continuing uh, in that same path. We'll be in Galatians chapter 4, and let's look together at verses 21 through the end of the chapter, verse 31. Beginning in verse 21, Paul writes this to the Galatian church. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman, But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise." Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Shall we go to the Lord in prayer as we look at this text? Our gracious and heavenly Father, when we look at a text like this, It is easy to become discouraged and to uh, look over it to maybe some easier passages. But we are encouraged today because the same Holy Spirit that wrote this 2,000 years ago is the same Holy Spirit that resides in us today. And Father, I pray that you would speak through your word today to those in the pew, to me standing up here to anyone who is watching through Zoom, to anyone who would hear this after today. Father, we pray that you would be glorified through your word, that we would be edified as a people, and that we would be drawn closer together and closer to your son Jesus. May we look more like Jesus when we left than when we walked in. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So the last time that I was with you, uh, it was the beginning of December, and I spent time telling you how much I enjoy Christmas, that it's my favorite holiday. I know that we're a little over a month removed from Christmas, uh, but, but my brain is still there. And so if you'll bear with me uh, as we think through this passage, I think it'll be helpful If we take our minds back to Christmas and something that, whether it's every Christmas or a few Christmases, we all come in contact with. And it's the story of A Christmas Carol, the story of Ebenezer Scrooge. And so if you're not familiar with that story, A Christmas Carol is a play about a mean, selfish, self-centered old man named Ebenezer Scrooge. And he hates Christmas. I would not get along with him. One cold Christmas Eve, Scrooge is unkind to the people who work for him and he refuses to give them charity, and then he's rude to his nephew who invites him over to spend Christmas Day with him. When Scrooge gets home, he's visited by the ghost of his old business partner, Jacob Marley, who tells him he's going to be visited by three more ghosts, the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas future. The ghost of Christmas past shows up and takes Scrooge on a journey through Christmases from his past. He takes him to see him as an unhappy child and how he was a young man more in love with money than he was with his own fiancé. Then the ghost of Christmas present shows up and he takes Scrooge to his clerk, Bob Cratchit's family. And at Bob Cratchit's house, Scrooge sees Tiny Tim, who is very ill but full of life, and full of joy, and full of Christmas spirit. And then he takes him to his nephew Fred's Christmas celebrations, which he had been invited to, but had refused to go to. Then the ghost of Christmas future shows up, and terrifies Scrooge by showing him visions of his own death. The ghost's journey through time teaches Scrooge the error of his ways, And when he wakes up on Christmas Day, he's full of excitement, he's full of joy, and he buys the biggest turkey in the shop, and he gives it to the Cratchit family before he goes off and spends time with his nephew and their family. Now, just as Scrooge is given a vision into the past and the present and the future to see the end result or the end direction of his life, I think that our text does the same thing. It looks to the past, it looks to the present, and it looks to the future to see the end result or the direction that the Galatian church is headed. So where we find ourselves in Galatians chapter 4, Paul is just continuing his argumentation. The whole argument of the book of Galatians is that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. You cannot find salvation in any commandment that that you can keep. It's not in your own doing. It's not in your own works. Though the law was good, though the law was given by God, you cannot find salvation by means of the law. And Paul, each each section of uh, chapters 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, is just doing illustration after illustration after illustration to show you can't have salvation in the law It's only through Christ. And he's telling them that the Galatians don't need to go back to a yoke of slavery. Rather, they should live as children of God. He's used that phrase. He tells them that they should live as adopted sons of God. We see that at the beginning of chapter 4. He says that they should live in this freedom that was purchased by Christ on the cross. And here, Paul continues his assault on those who want to live a life of spiritual slavery. And just as A Christmas Carol compares two versions of Scrooge, the selfish and mean man who is headed for death, over against the generous and joyous Scrooge who's full of life and joy and purpose for living, Paul's gonna recount the history of Abraham and Sarah to show two parallel stories, but stories that have drastically different endings. And so Paul begins his story in verse 21, where he says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise." Now this may be interpreted allegorically. See, Paul goes back, and we, we had it read to us earlier, a portion of the story. Paul goes back to the story that these people would have been familiar with from Genesis about chapter 15 through chapter 21 where God comes to Abraham when he's about 75 years old and he promises him a son. He tells him that he'll have a son by his wife, Sarah, who also is far beyond childbearing years. And through this son, or through this seed, many nations will be blessed. All the nations of the world will be blessed. And the number that will come from this seed will be more than the sand on the seashore, more than the stars in the sky. Sarah thought this was ridiculous and she laughed. And in Hebrew, to laugh is the word Isaac. Nevertheless, they took God at his word and they waited for a week. Two weeks, a month, two months, three months, six months, a year, two years, 10 years. 10 years and no son. No fulfillment of this promise that God had made to Abraham. And so Sarah, in her doubt and her frustration, she concocted a plan to give Abraham a son. She would give her servant Hagar to Abraham as a wife. And so Abraham took Hagar, and she bore him a son, and they called him Ishmael. Ishmael was born according to the flesh he was not the son that God had promised to Abraham and Isaac he was not the son of promise he was the son according to the flesh he was the result of Abraham and Sarah not believing the promise of God he was the result of Abraham and Sarah's own efforts to bring about the promise of God by their own efforts by their own doing Another 15 years pass before God comes again to Abraham and repeats this promise to him that one day Sarah will bear a son. And she does indeed bear a son and she calls him Isaac. Isaac is the son of promise. He's the son that God promised to Abraham nearly 25 years before. Isaac was born according to promise. Ishmael was born according to the flesh. See, now we have our characters, we have their backstories, and Paul says in verse 24, now this may be interpreted allegorically. These two women are two covenants. Now, for the sake of our time this evening, I'll define a covenant this way. A covenant is a bond or an agreement administered by God which bears upon or structures or frames a person's life until they die. So it's an agreement administered by God which bears upon someone's life until they die. Paul says these two women Hagar and Sarah are two covenants. They're pictures of two ways of living, two frameworks for our lives. And in the manner of a Christmas carol And in the manner of Paul's argumentation, let's let's follow the, the past and the present and the future of both of these children, born to the slave woman and the one to the free woman, to see where this ends up. First, let's look to the past. Paul says in verse 24, speaking of the children of the flesh, he says, one is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery, she is Hagar. See, Paul first looks at those who would desire to live under the law. And he looks back and says, this was your life. That was your life. Remember, Paul says in the opening text in verse 21, tell me you who desire to live under the law, do you even listen to the law? Paul's saying, let's walk this out. Let's run this play and see how it has worked out for you in the past. See, on Mount Sinai, Moses was given the law by God and then gave it to the people. And though it was good, though it was perfect, though it was holy, the people came under it and it became a yoke of slavery for them. Because they thought that in the law they could find redemption. They thought that in the law they could find salvation. They thought that in the law they could find their own righteousness. But the problem is, by nature, they were unable to keep it. Paul's saying, you want to live under the law? Well, what does the law say? It says, you were not born according to promise. You were born according to the flesh. You were brought forth by trying to accomplish your own by uh, trying to accomplish the promises of God on your own. You are the result of trying to live for God without God. You're trying to live for God in your own works, in your flesh. It's void of any relation to the Spirit. But over against the children born according to the flesh, Paul also, in the past, contrasts the children born through promise. Look at verse 27. In verse 27, he quotes from the first verse of Isaiah chapter 54. And this is a promise that God gives to his people. Listen to this. Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Who is that? Sarah. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. Who is that? Sarah. For the children of the desolate one, that is Sarah, will be more than those of the one who has a husband. That is Hagar. Now I want you to think through this for just a second. This is a promise that God has given to his people Israel, but he's recalling back to the the promise he made specifically to Sarah. What law did God give that Sarah could have obeyed and it produced in her a child? There is no commandment that she could have obeyed or followed and brought about this promise. There's nothing in the law that can bring this promise to fruition. There's no obedience to the law that can garner such favor. There's no precept that can be followed that opens a barren womb and brings forth life. There's no commandment that changes the disposition of the heart from one of rejection to one of acceptance and love. This is only done through promise. By all accounts, Isaac should not have been born. There was nothing that, was, that could have been done in the flesh that could have brought about his birth. His birth, his very existence, is only through promise. God promised, God fulfilled. Now, when they look, when when you and I look at our past, we can easily see where we have felt God and we've tried to live according to the law. But when you look at your past, do you see signs of promise? What do I mean? Do you see that salvation itself is an act of promise. See, there's no law that you could have obeyed that would have garnered your salvation. There's no commandment you could have kept that would have automatically made God save you. You were a slave, but because of a promise, you were made a child of the promise. See, Paul not only looks to the past, but he moves forward in his allegory and begins to look at the present. Present meaning first century Jerusalem. And he says in verse 25, as he looks back to the children according to the flesh, verse 25, now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. See, Paul, through the means of a letter, is looking at the Galatian church essentially in the face and saying, what has enslaved the Jews for generations is still enslaving you today. You're still trying to find your righteousness. The Jews are still trying to find their favor. They're still trying to find their worth in something that was never designed to give them any of that. They've tried to do the same thing over and over and over and over again, but they expect different results. Their life choices correspond to first century Jerusalem. What does Jesus have to say about first century Jerusalem? If you're able to, keep your finger in Galatians chapter 4 and turn over to Matthew chapter 23. I won't take the time to read the entire chapter but this afternoon some point read all of Matthew chapter 23 to see what Jesus says about the scribes and the Pharisees in first century Jerusalem. But I want us to look at just a few verses. Matthew chapter 23 beginning in verse 1 says then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Look at verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you enter yourselves, you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he has become a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. And then all the way down at the end of the chapter in verse 37, Jesus sums up his thoughts about first century Jerusalem, the scribes, the Pharisees, those who continue to try, and, who try to find their salvation, their worth, their righteousness in obedience to the law. Verse 37, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. First century Jerusalem. Was emblematic of children of slavery. Children according to the flesh. And as we go back to Galatians, back to Galatians chapter 4, Paul, staying in the present, says in verse 29 But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. See, a- after. Ishmael and Isaac had been born. there was tension between these two lines. And in Genesis chapter 21, verses 9 and 10, it recounts the story of Sarah seeing Ishmael, the child born according to the flesh, mocking or making fun of, Isaac, the child born according to promise. And Abraham, said, uh, excuse me, Sarah says this to Abraham. Cast out the slave woman and her son. Paul says, just as the child according to the flesh persecuted the one who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. It's the same thing today. See, in first century Jerusalem, following the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, the Jews heavily persecuted the Christians. They didn't see them as a legitimate uh, religion. They didn't see them as an offshoot of Judaism. They saw them as a threat to their way of life. And much of this has to do with the teaching that we're talking about here. That the law brings slavery, but Christ brings freedom. But staying in the present, over against the children according to the flesh, we have children of the promise. Look at verse 26. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Paul, as it were, turns to the Galatians, he says, but you, you have the answer. You were living in bondage. You were living in slavery. You used to look like Jacob Marley from A Christmas Carol, beaten and battered with chains all around you, hanged down, dead in your trespasses and sins. But you know what it's like to be freed you know unlike anyone else in all of history what it's like to be freed from your bondage don't go back to a yoke of slavery the Jerusalem above is free he says don't look to the physical world to find relief from a weary world look to Christ you and I It's easy to find our our rest in Netflix or in Facebook or in spending time with family, but our rest should be found solely in Christ. He says in verse 28, Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. He says you can look to the past and see that you have Sarah as your mother and Abraham as your father, But in the present, you can look and see that God is your father and the church is your mother. See, your identity is not found in your fleshly relationships. Your identity is found in your spiritual realities. Though you were born children according to the flesh, you have been reborn. You have been born again as a child of promise. That's the reality of the Galatian church. But what about you? See, you're not just a part of Stonebridge EPC. You are a part of a free Jerusalem. You are a part of the church universal. The church that spans time and space, the church that will never be defeated, and about that which Christ declares the gates of hell will never prevail against her. This is your reality. You brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. And Paul finally brings this allegory to a close. Look in verse 30 where he looks to the future. He says, but what do the scriptures say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. See here we bring both of the stories together. And though we can look to the past and see how Ishmael was constantly at conflict with Isaac. and. And the Galatians can look to their present and see the very real persecution of the Judaizers and the scribes and the Pharisees. And we can look to our present and see how believers are still persecuted today. And despite the fact, we can look to the past and to the present and we see very similar stories. When we look to the future, we see two very different realities. Paul says, the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Despite the fact that the son of the slave woman may appear in history as bigger and stronger and more well educated, with more money and more resources, the Bible says that the son of the slave woman will not inherit with the son of the free woman. The nature of being a son or daughter of promise is that you and I have rights and privileges that those who reject Christ don't have. Being a child of promise comes with rights and privileges that being a child of the flesh does not come with. What are some of those? I'm really glad you asked. The Shorter Catechism tells us what some of those are. Assurance of God's love. Peace of conscience. Joy in the Holy Spirit. Increase of grace and perseverance in all these to the end. These are found in children of promise. They're not found and children according to the flesh. But Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 also says, man is appointed but once to die, and after that the judgment. And yet, the son of the free woman receives even more benefits and inheritance, if you will, at death. The shorter catechism continues, In death, these are some of the benefits that we receive. Our souls are made perfect in holiness. We pass immediately into glory. At the resurrection, we will receive new bodies. We will be raised up in glory. We will be openly acknowledged and we will be openly acquitted on the day of judgment. And we will truly enjoy God for all eternity. That is our inheritance. But the son of the slave woman, for the one who rejects Christ, they will be cast out. There will be no relief from the weight of the law. There will be no second chance. Jesus in Matthew 25 at the end, speaking of those who reject Him, says this, And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. See Paul ends this reminder in verse 31, he says, so brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Paul's talking to believers, those who have been justified. Those who have been adopted, those who are born according to promise. So the question is, are you living as a child of the slave woman or as a child of the free woman? Are you who have been justified by God, adopted into the family of God, are you trying to go back to a yoke of slavery? Listen to the words of Paul. We are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Therefore, live as children of the free woman. Would you pray with me?